Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning. All right, I am Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I am so excited this morning because I have the privilege of beginning our brand new summer series entitled No Matter What. What we're going to be doing is this. We're going to take a walk through Philippians. Now, if you have never, ever studied Philippians, let me tell you, there is some great stuff in that book. And I know that God has some great things in store for us this summer, so you do not want to miss a summer or miss a Sunday. So if you're away for vacation, make sure you check it online, watch it later, because you do not want to miss these things. So I'm excited. Are you guys excited? No, I don't don't believe you. Are you excited? All right. Okay. Let's pray, and then we're going to uh, jump into this this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of living in this country. Lord, you have blessed us, and we thank you so much. We have the freedom to meet and to sing praises to you, Lord. I pray that we would never, ever take that for granted, because we know, Lord, in some places in the world, what we're doing this morning is illegal. And Lord, this morning, you want to speak to us, and so I pray for your protection over this time. Lord, I pray that you would bind Satan, that he would not be able to distract, because I know he does not want us to hear these things and put them into practice, because if we do, we will become more of a threat to him. So I pray that you would remove all the distractions of the week. Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way, and that you would speak to us, and that we would listen to you, but not just listen. I pray that we'd have the courage to live out whatever you challenge us to do. Lord, you are the potter, and I am the clay, and I thank you so much for that privilege. In your name I pray, amen. It was December 2013 when we received the news that my mother-in-law had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. I don't think anything prepares you to hear something like that. When we heard the news for the first time, we were in shock. We felt paralyzed and we felt helpless. And then we went into denial we wondered maybe there was a mistake or a misdiagnosis, but there wasn't. And then came the outpour of all these bottled up emotions. For the next year and a half, we struggled to accept and adjust to this new reality. And I have to admit to you, there were times where our faith was tested. We called out to God many times to heal her, and he chose not to. And we realized that God was present, but we always didn't feel his presence with us. It was one of those dark valleys that David talked about in Psalm 23. And I have to be honest with you, the darkness sometimes was so great, it was overwhelming. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I know that I'm not alone, Every one of us here this morning have experienced those dark valleys at some point in our lives, and if we haven't, they're coming. Get ready. Because our lives, unfortunately, are filled with trials and tribulations. We can't avoid them, we can't escape from them, but we can choose how we deal with them. James says this in his book of James, he says this in in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
I remember reading this for the very first time, being so confused. Because it didn't make sense to me. When I'm in those dark valleys in my life, how can I possibly experience joy? Well, then someone explained it to him, and it made sense. He said, it is possible. As long as we don't confuse joy with happiness. You see, joy and happiness are not synonyms, right? Not synonyms, but synonyms, right? They don't mean the same thing. In fact, here's the big difference between them. Our happiness is affected by our circumstances. But get this, our joy affects our circumstances. Our happiness is influenced. Our joy is an influencer. And so here's the thing, is we can be in these dark valleys, we can be in these tough times, and we may not be happy, but we can still experience joy because it all comes down to our focus. Happiness tends to be focused on me. But the kind of joy that James talks about here in this first chapter of James, he says this, it is focused on God. And so that is why James says so confidently that no matter what, we can experience joy. Like I said earlier, we're beginning a series, summer series, entitled No Matter What, and we are going to walk through the book of Philippians. And the cool thing is this, is the book of Philippians is actually known as the book of joy. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, and he understood what it meant to have joy in spite of his circumstances. The fact is, Paul's life was not easy, and the reason it wasn't easy was because he chose to proclaim the gospel. And he actually gives an account of what he went through in 2 Corinthians. I want, you to read, I want to read this to you because it just blows me away. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. It says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on, on the open sea. I have been in constant, I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. You know, you read this and you realize that Paul understood trials and hardships. In fact, as Paul writes Philippians, what is happening is this, is he is actually in Rome. And guess where he is? He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And he's facing the possibility of being beheaded. But get this, in the midst of all these circumstances, listen to me, Paul writes the book of joy. And because he went through all of this, I believe as we look at the words of Paul, it gives it greater validity. 
And so these next few weeks, as we talk about joy and we talk about Paul, we cannot brush him off by saying, well, you know what? He doesn't understand my circumstances. Yeah, he does. In fact, I would say this, that Paul is the perfect example of someone who maintains joy in spite of the circumstances of his life. And so not only does Paul understand, this is what I want us to get as we go through this for the next few weeks, is that he needs to be a, something, someone who inspires us. Say, okay, if Paul can do it, so can we. Because the same spirit that filled Paul fills us. Wouldn't you agree? And so, let's dive into Philippians. If you've got your Bibles or your iPads or your phones, I want you to open them up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to go from verses 1 to 11. If you don't got a phone or a Bible, it's okay. It's going to be on the screen. But I really want you to see this for yourself. I think it's important that we actually see this. And so we're going to look, first of all, at verses 1 and, 1 and 2 of Philippians chapter 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as he begins to write this letter, it is evident where Paul's source of joy is. In fact, I would say his source of joy is twofold. Okay? First and foremost, before anything else, his joy was rooted in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And the privilege that he had to share with others the message of Christ. In fact, that's the very reason why Paul finds himself in prison. Because he was arrested for preaching about Jesus. Now, this is the part I want to focus on this morning. The second part of his joy, the second source of his joy was this. Was his relationship with these believers. The Bible uses the word fellowship to describe the connection that we have as believers. And what it means is this, it means to have in common. And so as believers, what we have in common is this, is this bond with God through Jesus. We have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And because all of us are believers and we experience that grace, that kind of brings us together. Now, I think for a lot of us as Christians, listen to me, we underestimate this connection, this fellowship that we have as believers. Because it's not just physical. There's a spiritual connection that I think a lot of times we overlook. You see, it's more than just having your name on a church membership list. And it's more than attending a business meeting you see, it is possible, I believe this, it is possible to be close to people physically and miles away from them spiritually. What we can do is this, is we can come every Sunday morning and we can sit in our pew, our pew, beside the people that we've always sat by. And physically, we can be close to them. But spiritually, we can be miles away. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is this, is that is not the way God intended it. It's not. This fellowship is not just physical. It's spiritual. And it connects us on a very, very deep level. This connection is also not temporary. It's eternal. 
It goes beyond this life. And what that means is this. Just look around for a moment. Just look around, okay? Those people that surround you, you're gonna spend eternity with them. Now, for some of you, that's a scary thought, right? For some of you, you're scared. You're like, seriously, that person? Yes, that's reality. Get used to it, all right? And so this fellowship goes a lot deeper than the surface. It's messy because it means this, is that we're involved in each other's lives in the good times and the bad. But get this, when we experience that kind of joy as believers, what happens is this, it becomes a great source of joy for us. To be here this morning and to be with other people who are connected with us, not just physically, but spiritually, and that we are going to spend eternity together. That's amazing. Now, this fellowship... This kind of fellowship is interesting because this is what you need to understand is that Paul had this kind of fellowship with these believers. That's the kind of connection he had with these believers in Philippi as he wrote this letter. In fact, in verses 3 to 11, what Paul does is this, is he makes three statements that I think describe the depth of the fellowship that brought him such great joy. And the first statement he makes is this, I have you on my mind. Listen to verses three to six. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I have to admit to you, I read this and I am totally blown away. Because understand this, understand this. Paul is sitting in prison. But he is not thinking about himself. I would be. But what he is doing is he is thinking about these believers. And as he awaits trial, what he's doing is this, is his mind goes back to the believers in Philippi and every recollection of them actually brings him joy because this church was different. This church actually partnered with Paul in his ministry and not just prayed for him, but financially supported him. These people were invested. And so Paul is in probably in a, a, he's in a terrible situation. But he's able to find joy, first of all, because of his relationship with God. But second of all, he was able to think about these Philippians. And so he wrote this book of joy to them because he, he, he was thinking about them. Now, it's interesting as well. It says this, that Paul found great joy in the fact that God was still working in these believers. As he sat there, he realized, oh man, it is so exciting because he probably got news of what God is doing through these believers and it brought him great joy because he realized that God wasn't done with them. And so let me explain to you why Paul found great joy in this. Now you know me, I'm Mr. Object Guy. So you're probably wondering why I have these two blocks of wood. This is not mine, it's Warren Wearsby's. But he, he gave an illustration with these blocks of wood. He said this. He said, these two blocks of wood can create friction two ways. Okay? Number one, if this block remains still, 
and this one moves, there's friction. Would you agree? Right. The other way is this. If these two blocks move in different directions, friction is created. But get this. If these two blocks move in the same direction, guess what? Friction is eliminated. And so for Paul, what he was excited about was this, is he was in prison, and these Philippians were in Philippi. But it brought him great joy because he knew that both of them were moving in the same direction as he was. And so there was no friction in this relationship. There was an excitement because God was working. They were moving closer to God. Now here's the thing. The same thing applies to us. You see, as believers, we should be moving in the same direction. And so when we're moving in the same direction, the friction is reduced. If some of us are standing still and others are moving, you're going to find friction. Okay? If some of us are going this way, but some of us are going this way, there's going to be friction. But for Paul, he realized that these Philippians were moving in the same direction as he was, so this relationship brought him great joy. And what I'm telling you is this, is that these relationships can bring us great joy as long as we are moving in the same direction. Does that make sense? And that's why I think it's really important that if you call yourself a Christian, another Christian has the right to come to you and say, listen, you're not living according to the way God wants you to live. Not the way I want you to live. Very, very, uh, be very clear what I'm saying. But the way that God wants us to live. Because when we're living in the same way and we're moving closer to God, what happens is this, is we actually move closer together. And that bond is strengthened. But Paul doesn't stop there, though. He not only says this. He not only says, do I have you on my mind? But Paul also says this to these believers. I have you in my heart. Listen to this, verses seven and eight. It says, it is right for you to, I, sorry, it is right for me to feel this way about you, about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify, I love this, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So what happens is this, it's going a little bit deeper, because I think it's possible to have someone on our minds without having them in our heart. And let me tell you why. Because people get on our nerves, right? And when someone gets on your nerves, guess what? They're on your mind. Someone said yes, yeah, okay. But they're not in your heart, right? They're on your mind and they annoy you. But I really believe this, is when it goes from our head to our heart, that is a choice that we make. It's a choice we make on our behalf. We make it on our behalf. We say, okay, you know what? I am going to have this person in my heart. So Paul says this. He says, I have you in my mind, but I also have you in my heart, because Paul's love for them was sincere. And it was evident. And it was a love. It was the love of Christ that bound them together. In fact, Paul uh, realized that the love that he had for these believers was not from this world. In fact, he describes it in one of his other um, epistles, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You're going to recognize this verse. At every wedding, we always say it, right? It says this, that love is patient, love is kind. 
It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the kind of love that Paul had for these believers. And it was a reflection of the love that God had for him. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, this is the kind of love that will actually set you apart. This is the kind of love that's going to show people that you don't belong to the world. You belong to me. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples before he left in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you belong to me, if you love one another. And so the question is, is how did Paul demonstrate his love for these believers? Well, he was suffering on, his, on their behalf. The proof was, of his love was the very fact that Paul was in prison. You see, Paul's love wasn't merely something he talked about. It was something he practiced. And I love this. It says this, that he, he loved them so much that he longed to be with them. Let me ask you a question. Do we love each other so much that we long to be together? Are we saying, man, I can't wait till Sunday morning? In fact, I'm not going to wait till Sunday morning. I'm going to go and just visit that person. Why? Because I love them so much. So understand this. Paul's connection with these believers was so deep that he said, I have you on my mind. I have you in my heart. And the last thing he says is this, is I have you in my prayers. Verse 9 to 11 says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. See, Paul found great joy in his memories of these believers and in his growing love for them, but he also experienced great joy in remembering them before God in prayer. And get this, his prayer was not haphazard. It was very specific. Paul prays for a love that was abounding and discerning. He prays for character that would reflect Christ. And then finally, what he prays for is this, is that their service for God would be fulfilling and fruitful. You know, you read these first 11 verses in Philippians, and you realize and you get a sense of the depth of the connection that Paul had for these believers. It was almost like with every statement, Paul draws them closer. I think of you, I love you, and I pray for you. And with every statement, it's very evident that Paul is just drawing them closer because that's how much they meant to him. That's how much joy they brought to him. And so here's the scene. Paul is in prison, awaiting his verdict, but he is full of joy as he writes this letter to the Philippians. 
because Paul had a connection with these believers that went beyond the physical. It was spiritual. That's why he didn't need to be with them to experience that joy, right? Because he realized that he was connected to them, connected together to God through Jesus Christ. And that bond was a great source of joy for Paul, even in the darkest moments. Now, that's what Paul says, but here's the great news for us. As believers, we have that same bond to one another. We are bonded to God through Jesus Christ. The people that surround you this morning, listen to me, they're a gift. And there's no return policy. I'm just saying. God has given you, or given us each other as a gift. God has designed this community of believers to be a real source of joy in our lives. And so here's the question you've been waiting for. This is the painful question. Are we experiencing the same kind of joy that Paul experienced with the church of Philippians? And if we're not, why? Now what we do is we go to the blame game, right? We're like, oh, it's, it's there. no, no. Here's the thing, is we can't blame God for the lack of joy. Because God's plan was this, that his church was to be a great source of joy unto itself, but also unto the world. And we cannot blame those around us. Because here's the thing, it's not about being happy. He doesn't promise us happiness with each other. He promises us joy. And we can't blame other people because we know this, is we, can't, we don't have the power to change them. But here's the thing, is we have the power to change us. Our attitudes, our outlooks, and our actions. And so, what do we do? How do we do that? Well, in these last few moments, I wanna make it very practical for you. Because here's the thing I believe, if we don't give you something to go and live out, then we've wasted our time, right? Jesus says this, Someone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is foolish. But if they put them into practice, they're wise. And so if all I ever give you is God's message, but never tell you to put it into practice, then I'm not doing you any favors, okay? And so here are some practical things we can do to make sure that we begin to develop that kind of sense of community and fellowship that'll be a great source of joy in our lives. And I'm gonna make it really simple, because I'm simple, okay? I wanna give you three words, okay, that we learn from Paul's example. And it's this. Think, love, pray. Now if you need actions, like I do, think, love, pray. That's what we learn from Paul's example. If we want to have the kind of joy that Paul had with these Philippians, we need to think about each other. And it's more than just on Sunday morning when we see them. Oh, how you doing? But I mean, it's thinking about them any time God brings them to mind. 
And I gotta be honest with you, God's convicted me in this area for so many years because what would happen is this, is I'd be going throughout my week and God would bring someone to my mind and you know, I kind of ignore it. But again, this, this connection is spiritual. And so God was challenging me, Dave, there's a reason I'm bringing you, or bringing them to your mind. And so what I do now is this, is I use social media for the positive. I know there's a lot of negative stuff out there, but what I'll do is this, if God brings someone to my mind, I will send them a text or I will send them a Facebook message. And I'll say, hey listen, God brought you to mind today, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And the responses I get are crazy. The most common one is this. How did you know? Here's the thing. I didn't. God did. All I did was listened and obeyed. You see, this connection we have with each other is more than just physical. And that's what we underestimate it. We just assume, oh, I come to church every Sunday morning with these people and I pray with them and I fellowship with them and we have great socials and eat lots of food and all that kind of stuff. But it's more than that. God has connected us spiritually. And so this is the cool part, is that God wants to use you to bless those around you. And so understand this, when God brings someone to your mind, or what I've noticed is this, is wakes you up in the middle of the night, it's not the pizza you ate the night before. It's God waking you up saying, listen, you need to think about this person. Because I believe this, if we do that, then we can bless others. But in order for, I'll tell God to bless, in order for God to use us to bless others, we have to listen and we have to obey, okay? Second thing, we need to love each other. Now I know this is a step closer and this love is not about us, it's selfless. You see, it is so easy to love someone that makes us look better. I'm good with that. If someone can make me look better, I'm gonna love them. But how about those that don't? You see, this love is messy. It's uncomfortable. And at times, it is very awkward. <laughs> I've been in many awkward situations. But the cool thing is this, is this love is real, it's authentic, and it's this kind of love that makes an impact in this world. You're like, Dave, how do you know? Well, the fact is, 2,000 years later, we're talking about Jesus. Why? Because of the kind of love that he had. Because his love wasn't of this world. And Jesus says, listen to me, the kind of love that I have for you is the kind of love that's going to set you apart. They're going to know that you belong to me. So, we need to think about each other. We need to love each other. And the last thing is this, is we need to pray for each other. Nothing, nothing draws you closer to someone than when you pray for them. Would you agree with me? And I don't mean light, fluffy prayers that are prepackaged, like the ones we pray before the meal, you know, blah, 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 and we can say it in our sleep. I'm not saying that. I'm, I mean prayers that come from the heart. And this is another, this is another area where God's been convicting me. He's, he's been telling me, is this, Dave, when you say you will pray, you've got to do it. Like confessional time, okay, I, 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 I gotta confess here. 
Early in my ministry, you know, after I'd preach or on Sunday morning, people would come up to me and they would talk to me and I'd say, oh, you know, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Like a cliche phrase we use. And, and I'll be honest with you, in my heart, I really wanted to pray for them. But the problem was, is they were one of 20 people who wanted to talk to me and then I would get home and get distracted and even though I wanted to, I wouldn't pray for them. I wouldn't. So what I do now is this. If you come to me, I will not tell you, and if I do, you can correct me, I will not say to you, I will pray for you. I won't. Oh, but you're my pastor. No, I'm going to pray for you. But what I'm going to say is this. I'm going to ask you, can I pray for you now? Very rarely do I get no. I've gotten no a few times. But very rarely, because there is something very powerful when you pray over someone. And when you're being prayed for and you hear those words, those words are like blessings. See, we have to understand this. Because we're made in God's image, and when God spoke, he spoke everything into into existence. Because we're made in God's image, our words are powerful. They're not as powerful as God's, but they're powerful. And see, our words can either be used to curse or bless. There's no middle ground. We're going to bless people or we're going to curse people. Now, here's the thing I'm noticing is we're good at this. Why? Because this comes naturally. This one doesn't. But when we pray over people and we pray blessing over them, it changes them. Some of the most memorable times in my life have not been sermons. They have been moments when people have prayed over me, especially when they say, when they don't ask me what to pray for and they ask God to reveal to them what to pray, then I realize this connection is not physical. It's spiritual. Because God is telling them things that are on my heart. And when I hear them pray them without me telling them, that bond is even closer because I realize it's not physical. God has connected us in a very, very deep way. Now, what are the three things? Think, love, and pray. Now, in saying all of that, though, let me close by saying this. This will not work unless we are willing to be vulnerable with each other. In my 28 years of ministry, this is the, one of the things that blow me away, and it's this our masks, our masks. Many of us as Christians come every Sunday morning pretending we have it all together. Some of you probably came over here in a big fight and you got out of the car and all of a sudden it's like, ah, and you go into that mode, right? We're good. You're gonna close the door of your car, you're gonna go back to where you were, right? Because we put this on, we're like, hey, we look so good. And the reason we do it is this, it's because we're afraid to show our brokenness even though we're all broken. That blows me away. We hide it, but yet we're all broken. And this is what I want you to get. Little do we realize that it is actually our brokenness before God that binds us together. Did you get that? It's our brokenness before God that binds us together. This is how we are connected We're all broken before God. If it wasn't for God and his sacrifice of his son, we'd all be in trouble. 
But the fact is that Jesus died, and in our brokenness, God has restored us and reconciled us to him. And let me tell you something. Listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Satan knows that. And so he will do everything he possibly can to prevent that connection from happening. And so he is the one saying, hey, you better put that mask on. Because he knows in putting that mask on, you're going to come here and you may be hurting and no one is ever going to know. And God's like, man, I wish you would just share it with someone. Because someone could minister to you. And so here's the thing I want to tell you. Is we need to stop running from it and we need to begin to embrace it. I am amazed how God has used me when I am willing to remove my mask. Am I scared? Oh yeah. Because I'm afraid someone might hear it and put it on Facebook. Pastor Dave told me this. You know. But that fear is from who? Yeah. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't. And what I've noticed is this, is the moment I move, remove my mask and I begin to share... They don't go, oh, this is interesting. What I notice is this, is they kind of remove their mask. Because you know what's intimidating, I'm just telling you, is a pastor's mask. Because you're looking up here and going, oh, this guy's got it all together. Talk to my wife, she will tell you, he does not have it all together. She's the first one to admit to that, and my kids, right? But the moment I remove it, what happens is this, is they begin to share. And for us, what I've noticed is this, is every Thursday night during the, summer, during the, during the school year, we have, a, we have a group for dads. We meet on Thursday nights. It's open to any dad that wants to come. And I remove my mask. And Kevin, you would agree, there are times you're like, I never realized it. But you know what? When I remove my mask and I show them that I am broken, these guys don't go, oh, I'm not going to. They become real with me. And God does some amazing things. Why? Because it connects us together. And so I think if we remove our masks and we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, then we're going to experience a connection that God has desired for us to have. But Satan has tried to prevent for so many years. Because he knows there's strength in numbers. He knows that. And he's doing everything he possibly can to eliminate that. Understand this. This is not a battle against flesh and blood. It's a battle against the spiritual realm. So, here's Paul, sitting in prison, awaiting his trial, but experiencing great joy because he understood that no matter what, God was there. And in these first 11 verses of Philippians, what we see is this, is we see a great source of joy that these believers in Philippi were to Paul. Even though the situation was terrible, he allowed his joy to be the influencer on his life. And so as believers, we have a spiritual connection to each other through Christ. And it is that connection that we have with one another that is a real source of joy in our lives. So how do we do it? Remember those three words. Think, love, and pray. We need to think about each other more than just on Sundays. We need to love each other, being willing to get messy. Yeah, it's gonna hurt a bit, but that's okay. Because that's the kind of love that makes an impact. And then pray for each other. And not just say it, but do it. And actually pray in the presence of them. In doing that, I believe it will strengthen the bond between us. And we will experience the kind of joy that Paul writes about in these opening verses of Philippians. Let me pray.
Dear Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you have given us each other. And Lord, I know that Satan wants to divide us. And he's been doing a good job of it for years. But Lord, I pray right now that we would just understand that first of all, we need to remove those masks. We need to be willing to show our brokenness because we're all broken. And it's that brokenness before you that actually connects us tighter together. And so I pray that this week that we begin to put those three words into practice. That we would think, that we would love, and that we would pray for one another. Lord, help us to realize and understand the gift that you have given us in each other. And what a great source of joy that can be for each one of us. In your name we pray. Amen.